From New York City, the world famous Comedy Cellar presents Live from America Podcast. From America Podcast. With Noam Dorman and Hatem Gabber. Live from America Podcast. Where the top experts in the world and the best comics in the nation get together weekly to discuss today's issues as they cover news, culture, politics, comedy, and more with an equal part of knowledge and comedy. And now, here are your hosts, Hatem Gabber and Noam Gorman. Hey, welcome to Live from America podcast. This is Hatem, alongside me, Noam Dorman, one of the comedy seller, and our guest comedian Lou Perez and comedian Michael Suarez. Hey, guys, good to see you. We're going to have a crazy, crazy show tonight. So many crazy topics. And we're going to talk about uh, Lou's new book that's coming out later. Uh, that joke isn't funny anymore on the death and rebirth of comedy. But also we're going to talk about some... Uh, some crazy, crazy stuff like uh, Corinne John Pierre, um, uh, Katinja Brown Jackson, Diddy uncanceling uh, Trevor Scott, Calvin Klein's Mother's Day crazy commercial. Um, so yeah, it's gonna be insane. Let's start with the first one. Let's start with something uh, a little fun. Did you guys see that Calvin Klein um, commercial for Mother's Day that uh, caused a lot of stir? Some people for, some people against. It's about that transgender uh, parents. And some, and I, like, I didn't see it. I, I feel like so much of the world I only see when Hatem tells me to look at this. <laughs> I, I would miss so much of this stuff if Hatem wasn't like, yo, Lou, check this out. It's crazy. I mean, it, the social media went crazy and everybody's just like either some people are like, this is awesome. Some people are attacking. Mike, did you see it? I saw it. What's your, what's, what's your take on that? I think it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, you sound you sound a little uh, low. If you wanna yeah, raise your phone, no. What do you think? I'm I'm trying to look at it now. What is it again? Uh, Calvin Klein made a uh, Mother's Day uh, you know commercial uh, or or print. Uh, I can see it. Yeah, it's a, a transgender uh, family, transgender uh, mom and transgender dad. Transgender dad gave birth. Um, I believe the couple is uh, Brazilian. Yeah, and this well. is this is real. This is not like they're making just uh, models and do it. This is actually a real family. Um, well, well, as far as it as far as it being real, I have, I have no doubt that it that it happened. There are there are pictures of um, uh, of the birth, right? But as far as it, it it almost it does have that feeling though. It's a little contrived in a way. You know, it's sort of. Um, I, I don't know. It's it's sort of like so. Look, we're, we're you know we're each gonna really um, you know uh, I don't know uh, really go in for these roles and make a I mean ultimately like a real political statement here. Um, mm. So I, I I have a I have a couple of que- a couple of questions that that I had when it comes to you know trans dad giving giving birth. I mean one of them and something that I've noticed a lot is um uh, uh top surgery so um a lot of uh, trans men getting their their breasts removed um and it to me it seems very odd that you would get your breasts removed but then also want to give birth to a child because ultimately the best one of the best things that you could do for your child if you're able to do it is breastfeed 
you know, and especially now, I mean, now it even seems like even more appropriate because like the lack of formula uh, and how hard it is to get formula, you know? So that th- there's just like these, you know, obviously it's always going to be jarring to see like, you know, a dude with a beard give birth to a baby. Um, but, you know, then on top of that, there's just all these other layers. Um, and I don't want to, you know, take, you know, um, you know, take too much of the, the time here, but <laughs> But also, I mean, we know that, uh, you know, there are massive amounts of hormones being, you know, being used here. And I wonder, like, you know, what impact does that have on the baby itself? Because anyone, anyone who's, um, you know, uh, anyone who, who's had kids, um, you know how much, you know, goes into, you know, all the prenatal, the prenatal stuff when it comes to screenings and all that, um, your wife, you know, your wife uh, isn't supposed to eat certain foods and, 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 you know, there's, there's so, so much rigor coming, you know, down to trying to, you know, put your body in the best position possible to give birth to a child where if you are doing testosterone, if you are doing, you know, all these other hormone treatments, it's like, what, you know, what impact is that going to have uh, on the baby? You know, and that, and that's where I, I, you know, I say the, the contrived element of, of it is it's like, yeah, for the times that we're living in, it seems it seems like, yeah, this is what a new family looks like and all that. Um, but it's but th- there's a lot of just weird s- stuff happening where I, I don't necessarily think the, um, you know, the the health of the baby is is necessarily put at the, the top of the list. So. OK, no, my monologuing on that. So. My son, Manny, I'm afraid what he's going to say, but he says he has an opinion. Go ahead. What is it? Um, Talk loud. I think it's okay that um, they're doing it because everyone has their own way of dealing, of dealing with how they feel. That's oh, it. okay. Good. Thank you. Yeah, you're punished. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, I'm, I, I mean, I kind of, I kind of agree with my son Manny. I, I am, I am, don't, I'm happy for anything that makes trans people way trans people's way in the world give the uh, happier and and more lubricated and uh, less uh, um cruelty to them and more acceptance and all that that's not my i have no beef with, with any of that and of course you know you, you kind of roll your eyes when madison avenue jumps on something which obviously they do it because okay so they obviously do it because they they see uh, gold in those in them are hills rather than well i you know i'm sure they they agree with it too but anyway my my so so i don't i don't have common cause with these people who are hostile to these things i i am annoyed and i know lou agrees i am annoyed with the fact that you you have to agree with a certain you can have that what is this no this is um this is just mineral water go i'm annoyed with um the fact that like, you know, if, if there's science about uh, retransitioning or people, you know, all, all sorts of issues that are out there, it infuriates me that you're supposed to have an opinion about it even before you even read about it. And if you, and if you're interested, you have to have a particular opinion. I think that's crazy. And um, it also bothers me that, um, like for instance, I had a fight with, with okay, everybody's gotta be quiet now. Everybody out and be quiet. No, you're going the wrong direction. Go all right, Lou and Mike, you have to be quiet. That, um. <laughs> That uh, like you know, I've I've had people argue with me that as a straight guy, if I wouldn't have sex with a trans woman with a penis, that makes me transphobic. Like this kind of this just kind of crazy talk, you know. Like this this part of the agenda 
disturbs me no end. But I yeah. have no problem at all with, you know, c- celebrating happy uh, lives of trans people and Mother's Day, whatever it is. And, you know, I, I get Lou's point about breastfeeding, but I, I suppose that the, um, the unhappiness with the breasts prior to the pregnancy is, is, so, is so overwhelming that they'd prefer you know, to raise the baby with bottle feeding and, and live with breasts, you know, so. They were, um, uh, in that article you shared with us, Atem, actually, I followed one of the links uh, that they provided, um, and it's from like uh, transcare.ucsf, and, and it was in regard to um, uh, testosterone and um, and the fetus, and uh, if, if anyone wants to go and check out the link, it says, if you, sus- if you suspect you may have become pregnant or have a positive pregnancy test while taking testosterone, speak with your provider as soon as possible as testosterone can endanger the fetus. Um, mm. if, you do, if you do wanna have a pregnancy, you'll have to stop testosterone treatment and wait until your provider tells you that it's okay to begin trying to conceive. So I'm glad that that information is out there. Uh, yeah. as, as I mean, well. my point was more of, of the, the billboard itself rather oh. than than the you know the um actual having a baby danger versus i think like we need an expert for that it's a great point that you made but yeah uh, but more of like it's kind of like when uh caitlin jenner won the the woman of the year kind of you know what i'm saying like are we going too much and now if you criticize it you you know what interests me more just people saying some regular opinions and they're just being uh you know labeled as homophobic and stuff like that that's that's, I thought it was nice that Caitlyn Jenner won Woman of the Year. I mean, I, I get it. There's, it's, it's people are. No, how many women that you know that work for you or work somewhere else and they pay, you know, work day and night and 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 work so hard and they deserve to be the Woman of the Year. I'm not, you know, there's. I think there's so many people going in this world like for, you know, it's it's more it's more of a political statement. Every, everybody needs to try not to be mean spirited or contrary. Obviously, Woman of the Year is a. I mean, it's a silly award, you know, but um, it it wasn't that, you know, Caitlyn Jenner, even though they kind of turned on her now, but Caitlyn Jenner was groundbreaking for the trans community. And this was a nice gesture. It's it's an unimportant award. Like, like, so they took the award to make, uh, uh, I don't know. I didn't have a problem with it. I I don't know. I like, I'm very, you know, I'm on. No, I think it was good, but I don't think she should have won that. Um, oh, so who should have won it? I mean, like they're gonna give it to somebody. They're gonna give it to Hillary Clinton. They're gonna give it to Elizabeth Warren. Like, who cares? Someone who didn't kill a guy. Yeah, I'll give it to Anita. She killed a guy. Who, she killed Bruce Jenner. Yeah, Bruce Jenner killed a guy with like with his car, and then became Caitlyn Jenner. Well, they didn't. We, it was an accident, I presume, right? Well, they never really investigated after that, so. Oh come on! He, he's, I, I, mean, I don't think it, I don't think it was a Ted Kennedy kind of thing. No, it wasn't. Gone. Yeah, he didn't. Uh, can you get arrested? Wait, are uh, you serious, Mike? Like we're supposed to like begrudge Kayla Jenner because no, it was more of a manslaughter situation. But we, I, I think it, it was, was an intentional so. kill. Like he ran somebody over on purpose. No, manslaughter means uh, it wasn't murder. I mean, but you were no, manslaughter would fault. mean like in a fit of anger. Or, you know, it wasn't premeditated, but it was like. You mean involuntary, like an accident, yeah. like well, accidents are accidents. I'm like, that's not. Yeah. It can happen to anybody. You think oh, you yeah. could? You could never. <laughs> it just, it just went away right after. The, anybody who killed. drives a car could find themselves in a situation where they kill somebody. Right. It's, you just sure. thank lucky sure. stars doesn't happen to you. <laughs> All right, next one. Oh um, wait, uh, wait, uh, hot yeah, Before right. you, uh, there, there's one thing I wanted to uh, to point out uh, from the um, in the piece. The quote was uh, Erica and and Roberto are expecting parents from Brazil. 
Roberto is due to give birth to his and Erica's son, Noah, any day now. I, I noticed that. So yeah. the question is, how did they know Noah was their son? As a, I mean, Noah could have been, could be, could be anything. Could be, you know, Noah could be a boy, could be a girl, could be non-binary. We we don't know. I think they jumped the gun. I think that this couple should get canceled for jumping the gun and assigning that's a great a sex point. to their to their baby. No, I mean, missed that right. one. No, it's a great point. I'm sorry. Did, did, I, I heard I heard most of it. Did anybody see that guy from the Daily Wire? You know the the Ben Shapiro outfit. Um, uh, this guy Matt Walsh. Matt Walsh, right? He wrote this book called Johnny the Walrus, and it's about how you know it's a, very subtle. Johnny identifies as a walrus, but he's really not a walrus, and you know it's a, it's a very uh, thinly veiled swipe at trans politics and then he, he has this video where he's reading this book in front of a bunch of like kindergarten students and and the whole thing is so mean it's so fucking mean that it it's like you know i believe i agree with those guys on a lot of things and it just it's so painful to me to see that even though i agree with them on certain aspects of the things that they're that they're skewering that their heart is ugly, you know, and and I just think that people, when they discuss the trans issue, you got to be really careful about this because when you do have objections to certain things that I think most of us uh, object to, you do find yourself getting into bed with real bigots, you know, real hateful bigots on this stuff, and and it's very it's a very awkward thing. Like I would ask you, go Google that Johnny the Walrus uh, YouTube. It's so, it's despicable. Like he's just making fun of trans people, you know? And the truth is that, I, mean, I think I said this a couple weeks ago, any one of us or any, any the most right-wing Republican who has a child, you don't know what's going to happen. Your child could be trans. Like there's no, there's no magic pill to prevent it happening to your child. And the second it happens to your child, all of a sudden you're going to see things differently. You'd be like, oh shit. I'm worried. I want my child not to be miserable. So I'm, I'm kind of happy that their, you know, society is, is trying to, to be more accepting and whatever. Then, yeah, I, some things go too far, but I mean, I'm not, I don't really have a more point than that. I just, I just think a lot of these people who are making issues about all this trans stuff, they're so fucking mean. It's, it's really. Yeah. I think it, it's sort of like one of those examples of sort of the um, Baptists and bootleggers, like uh, the, I, um, where, like, you know, back in the day, uh, the Baptists were for prohibition uh, because they would, you know, stop people from drinking. And the bootleggers were for prohibition because that's their thing. If it's if it's illegal, they can make a lot of money. So it's sort right. of making strange uh, bedfellows. And, and you have a similar you have a similar thing here where you have, you know, uh, genuine, you know, hateful people uh, coming onto the side of people with genuine uh, concerns about uh about the, the the culture and or you know trans ideology, I guess you know I guess they would um, they would call it. And I think it's I think it is it is tough to sort of wade into that conversation if you are you know if you consider yourself a decent person uh, because it the it seems like the people who are being heard are definitely the loudest. You know, like there is a you know a, a say a small minority of you know trans activists that are so vocal about what they're doing so you start 
hearing things like, oh, if you're a lesbian and you refuse to date a um, a woman with a penis, you're a bigot, like, you know, sort of a, a, a variation of what, what Noam was describing, you know, earlier. So it's sort of like when you're confronted with those people, it's like, you know, obviously the only way to, you know, destroy them is to come out at them, you know, with that, you know, same in, in intensity. Um, and it is unfortunate that, you know, so much of the conversation is, you know, does come down to, you know, just sort of, a, uh, you know, either mocking or just, uh, you know, outright, you know, demonizing. Truth is, it's the opposite. If, if I meet a really hot girl in a bar, I don't care if she identifies as a man. <laughs> I don't care if she's having the best gay experience of her life. Like, I mean, we, we get to the point where you meet somebody really hot. Is like, you sure she's not a trans? And I'm saying, I'm a, obviously, you're, you're attracted to a, to, to female body parts. Like that's, that's right. something you can't think. Right, I, right. I wish it weren't so, but that's, but that's the way we're programmed, and for good reason. Like, for them to really think that you're supposed to be attracted to what somebody's thinking, essentially. Right. I, I don't know if I'm attracted to you yet. I'm straight. So you have to tell me what you identify as. Then I can tell you if I'm attracted to you. But, but, but and please, I mean, it's so absurd. It's just absurd. And they really believe this and they're adamant, you know? So anyway. That, yeah. that, that, it's not about sexuality. It's about race. So, <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's keep the conversation heated. Uh, Corinne John Pierre, you know, I sent you an article about Tucker Carlson, you know, uh, questioning her qualifications, stuff like that. Now, again, do we and we said we, we we talked about something like that before, but is Biden hiring just obviously she is qualified, you know, but is she the best at the job? You know, is he trying to make a statement by hiring the first uh, black openly gay uh, person for that position? So be the first, first, first or or what, what's your thoughts on that? Is she the best liar they could possibly come up with? Right. Is that the one that is she the is she the best who could spin bullshit? you know, right there and, and right then in, in front of, uh, you know, to the uh, to the press. I don't know. I mean, with, with all the first, you know, like first, you know, black and gay and all that, it's like, you know, after Obama became the first black president, it's sort of like everything else just really just doesn't, I don't know, measure up really, you know? Yeah. Mike, what do you think? I mean, she was his deputy press secretary before, right? Mm -hmm. I think she's probably as qualified as anybody. I mean, no, what I'm sure really she is. Doing? We're not so. questioning that. But I'm saying, like, is he like, do you question a little bit that he's trying to do everything like making a statement to first, the first, the first versus taking a job for maybe somebody who who deserves it? No, I think he did that when he hired her to be the press secretary. I think now it's the person he probably has best that's already working for him. Mm -hmm. So no. great, the, great the people that he knows, I think she's the best one. Or she great. asked him first. Maybe that's what it was. Raise your hand. If you have not ever come across someone in a position who was clearly not there because they were the best person for that position, but they were clearly there because, um, you know, somebody wanted a particular gender or race or whatever. Raise your hand if you've never experienced that. All right. I mean, this so, podcast is an example. Why am I here? <laughs> I'm not the best on this. <laughs> so obviously, we all know, and, and it's, and it's, and it's, it happens more often than, you know, I think we'd like to say publicly that this happens, that people are getting, and, and, and I, don't, I don't approve of that. Having said that, I have no idea in the specific case of this woman, whether or not she's, I, I, how would I know? I have no idea. 
So, and it would be bigotry to assume that she's not qualified because um, she might be fantastic. On the other hand, the people who support this kind of quota system have to be reasonable and understand that this is going to be uh, a rational skepticism that people begin to form about these things. And this extends to when they're taking away uh, SATs and entrance exams or whatever. It's like at some point, you know, I mean, if you want to talk about race, let's say, if you know that in New York City schools, only like 30% of minority kids are reading on grade level in the sixth grade, then we know that this is a huge problem. And we know that this is going to be a problem among adults as well. We know this. So if they're going to equalize and, you know, the, the quotas based on population in like law schools as adults, we know that they're taking people who can't do the work because we, we can see their we can see that they weren't able to do it as children. And that's a national, as children, and that's a national tragedy. And really, I think we should be spending all our time trying to equalize outcomes in, in grammar school and high school. And then I think everything else would take care of itself in terms of the grown-up world. But empirically, it's obvious that they are, there's a movement to give people positions and put people in jobs and that they're not qualified for. And we've all seen it. And it, it's unfair to the people who are qualified, like perhaps this woman, what's her name? I forget her name. Corinne uh, John Perea. Yeah, it might be quite unfair to her. You know, and that, that's, uh oh, Lou, Lou, I offended Lou and he left. Yeah, Lou is like, I'm out of here. This is Lou is like, I, I'm done with this. So, like this no, no, I, I had a, I had a, um, a very, you know, uh, uh, you know, stupid minority install my, uh, <laughs> install my, my Wi-Fi. Uh, I can't believe you're a minority, said, Lou. You're, yeah, you're, you're Latinx. I, that's right. I, I am Latinx. I, I missed I missed a bunch of what of, of what you said that when you brought up law school, it made me think of um, the trouble that Amy Wax has gotten into. Uh, Amy Wax, I think she's at um, was it U um, U Penn hey, uh, University hey. law, law School? That's why. I went, that's why that's I where you went, right? And you know, I, I've I've listened to her a bunch of times on on the Glenn Show with host uh, Glenn Lowry. And uh, I guess one of the things that she says is, is that um, black students have not been at the top of the, the heap uh, when it comes to uh, that law school in, in particular. And, you know, uh, you know, obviously it's it's uncomfortable to hear somebody say that. But, you know, I think there is an easy way to disprove what she says, and that's open up the grades and show, right. hey, this is what this is what uh, the incoming uh, class of, you know, of, of, of black soon to be lawyers got on their LSATs. They're at the top. Um, and, you know, and here we, you know, and, and here we go. So a lot of this stuff, I, I, I feel like if we were just being you know, more honest and be willing, you know, more transparent, you know, to, oh. to show what's up, it would be. It's, it's easy know. for you to say. I mean, it's easy for you to say because you're not impacted by the by the, uh, the the impression and the confirmation bias that these facts, which can be radioactive, the, the ripples that they cause when they get out into general society. I mean, I, I mean. In the end, truth is truth, and and it's hard to argue for for every, any for anything other than the truth. But I certainly understand why people don't want to talk about these things. And I went to Penn Law School, and, and affirmative action was was rampant there. And I, I mean, just uh, so it wasn't just in admissions, which um, were obvious, and a lot of people who were there for affirmative action ended up dropping out. I would say more than half ended up dropping out. But for instance, the law review. So in a law review. 
50% of the people on law review are chosen by a writing competition. And the, um, the papers that you hand in are graded blindly. You just, there's, there's a, a, a student ID number on it. So the professor doesn't know whose paper he's grading. Mm. So the professors get the papers and then they grade all the law school uh, essays. And then the professor sends the papers to the registrar's office and a registrar, the registrar would then look up the number and find the corresponding student. And if the student was a minority, they would add points to the essay. So even once you got into law school, even when you were imminently about to be out in the world defending real clients, they were still adding points to the uh, to the achievement of um, these people. So so these uh, uh, law students. In a sense that, you know, it's like there was never going to be a time where they were just going to say, okay, you're here now, you know, sink or swim on your own. You're on your own, kid. We got you. No, you're never on your own because they want to protect the great, they want to protect them from beginning to end. And I used to joke, I remember law school, I said, well, maybe the judges, you know, should do the same thing when they, so, so it gets ridiculous. On the other hand, I had Amy Wax on my podcast one time and she was so awful in the in the bluntness with the way she spoke about this stuff like and you i made me take the episode off that i that i didn't i didn't um didn't air it i didn't air the episode because i just wasn't comfortable with it and 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 nothing she said was untrue like i'm sure everything she said was true but there was a almost like a like a asperger's lack of diplomacy about it mm-hmm. that um that is part of life. You know, you do have to care about how you say things, how you present things. Uh, you have to, it, it matters to present things in a way, like we talk about trans people, that, that indicates to your listener where your heart is on something. It, these, these subtleties do matter, I believe. And she, she um, has, she wants no part of that. She just lays out these harsh facts and she, she bashes people over the head with them. And it's hard to take, you know, I, God bless Glenn Lowry, who, who's black and, and um, is a tough dude that he, he, he doesn't mind, you know, he, he lets her, he lets her talk about it that way. He, he's, he's quite an incredible person, Glenn Lowry. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, well, a ahead. lot of laws are going to be coming up um, regarding trans and gay rights. So maybe there's a important we have someone on there who can speak on that firsthand experience. Yeah. I mean, sometimes maybe it will be a good deal, uh, you know, um, to uh, to just like like uh, you know like Noam said in the beginning a little bit earlier is like you know you you have to be careful because if you criticize something you're gonna be part of like some really bad people you know yeah. but how do we do that how do, like I, I wonder like how do you say like listen I don't agree with this I'm not that bad as that person but I just don't agree with you you know well, it's it's a great point I don't know how we do that. Well, look at what I mean. Um, you know, you you wanted us to talk about you know Tucker Carlson's comments in regards to the new um, uh, press secretary. I forget um, what her, uh, her her title is exactly, but and then you have a, a mass shooting in Buffalo. And before I even found out about the mass shooting in Buffalo, I see Tucker Carlson is trending. And um, from you know my cursory you know look at what's going on, they're somehow blaming the this mass shooting on Tucker Carlson on somehow the beliefs or, or, or uh, uh, segments that Tucker Carlson has made 
has, you know, influenced or outright, you know, incited this 18 year old kid to go and shoot people in Buffalo, in particular, um, you know, targeting uh, black people. I believe he I forget how many black people he killed and how many white people he killed. Um, but and he bled not guilty. And he, oh, and he pled not guilty. Yeah. Oh, whatever. Go, go. Well, well, you know, well, let's see which uh, lawyer he gets who graduated from Penn. You know, so let's just, you know, some jewel venom for sure. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, he's got you on speed dial or some of that. But um, you know, but but there's something too where where so much um is now dependent upon you know trying to um make these connections between actions of one pe- of one person and the speech of another, you know, and um and and that's where things are 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 you know, we see it, you know, we see it all the time uh, now. Well, by the way, on this, on this shooter, I found a copy of the manifesto and I downloaded it and it, it bothers me no end that you can't find the manifesto online. I mean, I I had to really pull out my, my real um, sleuthing internet skills to find that you, the, the press reports it through whatever their ideological lens is to us little people and they think, and the, and the smart people but we shouldn't let the masses read this. We'll tell them the parts right. that we, that it's infuriating. I mean, it's it could a, be, there's another reason also, maybe just Netflix bought the rights so they can make the documentary. So, so I, I found that, I found that I'm, I'm reading. I mean, it, it's a screed against Jews, mostly Jews and then blacks. Jews are the number one villain. So the Tucker Carlson thing is interesting because mentally ill people, do echo what they pick up from non-mentally ill people. We can't, we can't deny that anymore. And so, though Tucker Carlson, you know, doesn't believe in mass murder, I'm sure, we can't pretend that this kind of stuff that he and other people say doesn't wind up in these manifestos. So I'm not, I'm not, Blaming Tucker Carlson, I'm saying I don't want to. I don't want to deny the obvious, which is mentally ill people will mirror ideologies that they they pick up, and they and they seem especially prone to hateful ideologies. Even if Tucker Carlson would say his ideology is not hateful, they'll they'll take it and gin it up a little bit, or they'll filter it through their own angers or their own craziness, and it'll come out losing the subtleties, which would whatever you know, essentially that. These immigrants and Tucker Carlson has this one. These immigrants are dirty and they're and they're causing crime and they're coming here and and they are gonna they're trying to um, accomplish uh, through de- demography what they can't accomplish through the ballot box and take over our country. He's saying he's actually said things like that. And some mentally ill person puts two and two together and says, "Fuck this! I gotta kill these cocksuckers." You know, so it's complex. I'm not. I mean, I'm not arguing that Tucker Carlson can't say whatever he wants. Um, I, I wish Tucker Carlson would be more, a little more circumspect in the way he presents it. Sometimes what he says is just turns out not to be true. I mean, just, it's not about this issue, but like that the Hunter Biden is controlling uh, bioweapons labs in Ukraine. Like he, he, he just, he just drops this stuff and then he, you know, never really gets back to it and he can't really back it up, you know? So what did the manifesto say? Oh, I, I just downloaded it a little while. I'll send it to you if you want. Um, oh, no, don't, don't send it to me directly. I'll, I'll come and pick it up. 
No one put my book to the side. <laughs> no one put my book to the side. Is like, I got to read that. This guy shows initiative. I'm like, Lou, Lou hasn't done anything as big as this guy. So, I mean, it's, it's amazing that these guys have this. I mean, I mean, I, I could never write 180 pages of uh, anything like these. But so often these mass murderers, they have the stick to itiveness to sit down and write long, well-researched documents. It's, it's interesting. It's very interesting. Well, I think I think, too, it, it comes down to, you know, not, not only like of uh, like you said, you know, sort of the insane person grabbing a certain a sane person's uh, idea and, and running with it. It's also, you know, uh, they're looking around and seeing taking it upon themselves and like what action can they actually affect in the world? You know, so uh, most of the time you're dealing with people who aren't necessarily winners, you know. But they could, you know, they could don a, you know, the, the camouflage attire and walk around with a, you know, walk into a supermarket with a rifle and change the universe. You know, suddenly this is a, this act, this horrible, evil act, um, you know, now brings them into the spotlight and makes them an actor, you know, in this universe that they would never, uh, you know, they never were before. You know, and, and the manifesto is like another aspect of that, too. I, I would say in Tucker Carlson's sort of defense that we don't know if there's causation, meaning that it, it may be the other way. Maybe that some people are dying to commit murder and they work backwards to find some rationale. I mean, you know, Hitler and all these, I mean, there's all, there's all the human history is just nonstop murderous people long before Tucker Carlson ever came along. So, so it, it's almost as if the, the instinct to murder comes first and violence could come first and then people find their particular excuse for it. So it's not it's Tucker Carlson, or if this particular ideology never existed, uh, does that mean that somebody wouldn't find an excuse to kill people who don't look like them? I, you know, who knows? You, you don't know. This, uh, this, is, this is what uh, the quote from Tucker Carlson regarding Corinne Jean Pierre. He said, uh, our first out uh, LGBT White House, White House uh, press, he said, it's good thing, shut up and celebrate. Uh, show us your picture, and we'll tell you if you qualify for the job. He added. Uh, that was his uh, his uh, direct quote. Um, all right, one more thing I want to ask you, and then we can jump to Lou's book. I actually I did not send you this, but I saw it in a, a sh like a news show in the Middle East, and it was very interesting to me. And I wanted to ask Norm uh, ask Norm about it, and since Lou and Mike is here as well, so this is one of the fears that they say in like in the Middle East right now. Okay. So they say in that a, um, you know, the natural gas, um, you know, uh, the countries that produce the most natural gas, obviously. Um, the top, one of the tops are, uh, you know, uh, right here, I'm sharing it, uh, Iran and Russia, number two and three. So they say that the world and the U.S. cannot afford to block these two. So they're going to have to make peace with one of them especially Iran, you know, because the world cannot cover any more natural gas. So they're very worried in the Gulf War since, uh, you know, about that uh, aspect. What you guys uh, thought in that? Do you think that Biden administration will have to make do with uh, Iran for the natural gas? Because they cannot, the world cannot survive with two countries completely blocked. Wait, wait, but, but the United States is at the top of the list is producing the most natural. Yeah, but we're talking about the world, not just the, the, the world. Yeah. yeah. If they're yeah. going to put them under sanction, the world cannot survive. And the U.S. and Qatar only cannot provide. 
And also something to, you know, something to remember too, is that, you know, one of the ways that the U S was able to cut, you know, CO2 emissions was because we, you know, started, you know, fracking for natural gas. So that was a way to, to get yeah. off of, you know, the, um, you know, so fossil, those are decisions that fuels. should yeah. be made and have to be made. And they say by the end of the year, and they say the Biden administration is trying to have on, you know, official contact with Iran, trying to sign a deal. So what do you guys think? Well, I, I, I think this is over our heads. I mean, obviously, as Louis alluded to, there's, there's United States perhaps could triple its national natural gas production if it would let out the stops of regulation. Number one, a lot of things that run on natural gas can be converted to oil. Number three, you can play, you can have both. You cannot make peace and still, and these, you know, it's kind of look the other way. Iran doesn't have peace with America, but Iran still sells natural gas to other parts of the world. Natural gas is fungible. That's what I'm still- saying, like sanctions. They're afraid that the sanction needs to be taken off one of those two countries. Well, I mean, I, I probably doesn't need to. It's probably, it probably doesn't need to. That's I mean, they, they, they say calculate. Mike, what do you think? I'm not smart enough for this question, but I, I do think. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't see them taking sanctions off Iran anytime soon, though. That's for sure. Uh, I mean, it's just, you know, numbers. I think they're not. All right, let's go to the main event. Lou's book. Uh, that joke isn't funny anymore on the death and rebirth of comedy. Lou, what made you write this book? Besides, inspired by me. Is it a book or a manifesto? <laughs> all, all I'm going to say is FBI, CIA, keep your eye on me. All right. This book is going to go places. Um, yeah. Well, well I, I think I, I, I brought this up um, on another episode um, of uh, Live from America. Uh, it, it came about, I was, um, uh, Noam uh, shared with me a, uh, an academic paper that uh, featured my, my old uh, sketch comedy channel, We the Internet TV, and uh, accused it of being far right. And uh, thanks to Noam, he uh, um, put me in touch with uh, the Wall Street Journal, and I wrote a response to it. And from that, uh, from that article, how I became a, quote, far right radical, uh, came the idea um, for the book. I uh, I sort of I, I shared the article with um, uh, a Facebook friend of mine who was a who was a publisher. And after I shared it with him, I, I thought to myself, "Oh, wouldn't it be cool if he he wrote back and said, you know what, you should write a book.' And that's exactly what he did. And then from there, it was uh, it 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 sort of went from you know that idea of the book to me kind of looking back on twenty years of of doing comedy um, in all different forms, whether it's improv sketch stand up uh that sort of thing well what i know if, if you can write a book you definitely can write a manifesto so you know <laughs> oh yeah and i and and, and and just so everyone out there I, I i highly doubt that shooter had an editor had a proofreader you know had to like had to had to had to hand in drafts to people who were like yo you got to rework this first chapter you know, so I put some work uh, into this. Someone uh, so holding the walrus book. We're, we're gonna get to. I'm just gonna tell a quick story. I think I said it before in this show. One of my, um, you know, finest moment at the Olive Tree. Um, you know, when 9/11 happened, the Arab Laden tape in Arabic, and somebody was translating it. You know, and Manny Dorman, which is uh, Norm's dad, he asked me, 
was that, is it the translation accurate? I was like, not 100%, but close. He's like, okay, when it's done, I want to translate it again. So I'm translating and people like coming to listen, you know, and I see this big smile at Manny's face and everybody else is hating. And then I realize they don't know that I'm translating. They think that I'm saying a statement. We will kill everybody. <laughs> she set me up. I could not believe this shit till now. <laughs> and people like the crowd start coming. I was like, who is this guy? They're saying that tonight. That's uh, that would be such a great act if you were doing that every year since 9-11. You know, you just come back and reboot and reboot that. You'd have like a you'd have a you know a show in Vegas right now. Oh, I should, yeah. Uh, so that joke is not funny. I, you know, it's funny. I read an article a couple of weeks ago. I think it was in the Times. It's about um, uh, can America take a joke? It's about the attack of like on Chris Rock and well and Dave Chappelle and all that. Mike, what do you think? I think less and less every year. It seems to be able to take a joke. It's weird. So now, um, when you write a joke, you have to worry about okay, it's gonna happen. Um, I. I, I personally don't, but I do know it's going to be met with more and more uh, skepticism or just people just wanting to get uh, their feeling heard about what they feel about. Like, if you talk about something and they feel the opposite about it, they want to get mad instead of having their opinion and talking about it later. No, I'm no one ever no one ever tackled Gallagher or or uh, George Carlin. Um they just talked about it later. Like they were getting attacked on stage. Now, uh, Chris Rock made a joke about hair, and he's getting slapped. So it's just, it's just getting this more and more to people just wanting to get watched. I think they want to just be heard in in their crazy way. I I don't know. I mean, I'm reluctant to draw any conclusions. The, the, the Chris Rock thing. I mean. Yeah, this is Will Smith being a macho idiot. Um, I think Will Smith was intending to like physically humiliate Chris Rock. I don't think he meant to uh, seriously injure him because he he, he could have, <laughs> he, you know, and nobody stopped him. Um, the, the I don't I don't think it was related to any change in sensibility about humor. I don't think Chappelle thing. The guy. Um, I mean, I I. I didn't realize at the time, but the guy had a knife in his, like a, a pocket knife in his pocket, but he didn't, didn't attack him with a knife. So it's not clear to me what was this an attempted murder or I, I don't know what it was. It was, but it was scary at the time. But of course, megastars, uh, this is not at all new that a megastar is attacked by a crazy fan. Um, <clears throat> it might have been associated with Chappelle's jokes. It might, I don't know, like it doesn't seem like it was. What is there any indication that this guy attacked Chappelle? Because no, he's no, he's actually a big fan of his, he said. But, yeah, uh, but the point, like, you, you, you own a club, you have millions of shows a year. Do you feel like the crowd cannot take a joke like they used to? Do you, you feel like no, you have I, to I worry about anything? Way. I mean, there's certain things you can't joke about like you used to. Um, not, I'm not necessarily because the audience wouldn't still find them funny, it's just that the audience knows that it can't. Sh- show everybody still finds them funny like you know I, I i don't know that they would in privacy of their own rooms wouldn't find these certain things still funny um but like for instance you, you can't do a gay voice anymore um from time to time when one does slip out people still laugh i have to admit people still laugh but you know people the society's kind of said well it's just not nice to do that anymore so they don't do it but um i, I don't think cancel culture 
is is like the comedy seller is not really uh, that adversely affected by it. I don't think. Like there was a Barry Weiss ran a thing uh, a couple of days ago of this guy who got fired at Reuters simply because he cited Roland Fryer's study on police violence. Did you read about that, Lou? No, no, I didn't hear about that one. Yeah, Barry Weiss, it was an essay by a guy that said, I got fired from Reuters. So Roland Fryer, who's a black economist, did a study on police violence at Harvard and concluded that um, blacks were victims of police brutality, but not um, not overrepresented in shootings. In other words, mm-hmm. so they were manhandled more. By the way, this, this job is my experience growing up in New York City, treated like shit by cops more, but not actually shot in cold blood more. So this is what he found. And this guy at Reuters was increasingly uncomfortable about the stories that Reuters was running and back channels, you know, wanted to talk about this and he got fired for that. Now, this is crazy. This, this is just nuts. Like the guy is, you know, wants to just bring out an empirically true fact and a news organization fired him because they cared about their narrative. And then, of course, anybody who sees that knows better than to ever bring this kind of thing up again. So the consequences, the self-censorship of these few incidences, incidents, incidences of people being fired, I think are, are, are quite consequential. Um, and I, and I think comedy is where it's happening, maybe the least. I don't know, but but I haven't read Lou's book. Maybe he would disabuse me. What, what does your book say about all this? Um, well, well, one of the things that I, that I talk about in the in the book is, um, you know, talking about, uh, you know, the when I first started doing comedy, there was this really exciting, um, you know, er- experimental uh, idea to it. You know, for one, when you first start doing it, you know you're whatever you're doing you're always you're you're trying new stuff you're you're trying comedy for the first time you're trying new jokes and all that but then what i found was even you know people who've been doing it for a while there was this uh um you know this freedom to try stuff and to fail and to put stuff out there and maybe go too far you know whatever that means um but have people will be like oh well he's a comedian that that's what that's what they're doing um and then you know it was sort of like the past like five, six, seven years uh, that I started noticing where uh, I think, you know, kind of like, like like Mike was saying about, you know, people looking to get offended. It was sort of like people now viewing everything as all and nothing when it comes to politics, where it's sort of like your whole being needs to be either for my side or against uh, or, you know, or for me or against me in, in, right. in my politics. And when you do that, there really isn't room for um, the kind of experimentation or the fun that you would normally want to have, or, or even just like, you know, real cutting, um, you know, uh, satire. Um, and I found that like, you know, for, for example, like during the, the Trump administration, you know, there would be comedians who were afraid to make jokes at the expense of Democrats because it might give Trump an edge or let Trump, you know, give Trump an inch, you know? And it's like, we're talking about jokes here, you know? Well, um, yeah. Can I talk to you for a second? Or, sure, or, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, no, unless you're getting to. Um, oh, no, no. So I think we need to really be honest that or, or, or take full stock of the fact that it's, it's really corporate America, people in charge who buckle, who really uh, cause this. So, for instance, take the other side, like the guy in charge of Spotify did not buckle when it came to Joe Rogan 
Joe Rogan actually compared black people to apes, right? Like you, like you, don't, you just don't do that. People got fired for that in the seventies. But the guy in charge of Spotify said, "Well, I'm not, I'm not doing anything about it." So, and then of course everybody just moves on. So the the action, and nobody nobody was running away from Spotify. Nobody's canceling his viewership didn't go down. Black comedians, uh, black people I know, are like, "Yeah, he shouldn't have said that," but they still like him if they liked him before. They don't like him, you know. They really didn't. So it really showed that how just the average everyday person is able to process these things properly. The guy in charge of Netflix st stood by Chappelle. Um, but there's examples where people cut and run, right? And, th and they, they control things and they make it look like society has actually changed when it's really a small group of people on Twitter and a small group of elite people that, mm. that just have, they punch so far above their weight. And it is really is the Wizard of Oz. And they really make us think that they have all kinds of power. Louis did not back down. Right, Louis. All that happened to him. He went on stage. He started touring, still doing jokes about kids getting shot and molestation. Like he's he did. He like leaned into it. The most outrageous stuff he ever said. Right. And what happened at the end? He won a secret. He won a, a, a Grammy award. Now, why did he win the Grammy award? In my opinion, because it was secret ballot. Because nobody had to go on record that they voted for Louis C.K. winning the Grammy Award. That's actually a great if, point. Yeah. Had, if Twitter could have said, he voted for Louis C.K. and he voted for Louis C.K., he would have never got that Grammy Award. So it, that's, I think that's a very good illustration of how this is all fake. It's just all fake. Nobody really cares that much about this stuff. Yeah, and, it's a, and I, I think you're right that you know, a big part of it comes down to support. And, and one of the great things about doing, you know, comedy now or over you know say for the past you know 10 or more years is that there isn't just one way that a comedy career goes where you know it used to be like all right you're a stand-up comedian then you're going to go and get your pilot you know then maybe you're going to you know you're going to do movies or, or you're a stand-up or or a sketch comedian you're going to do snl then you're going to do movies i mean it's been you know such a you know such a great time for comedians to have all different routes to to make a living doing this stuff you know it's a joke that every comedian has a podcast well yeah every comedian has a podcast because that's yet another way to help you know to help your career and i think it, it's really um important for not only the you know the corporate you know heads to back the people who are obviously making the money but it's also like if you're a fan of comedy you need to support the the little guys too whether that's when they're when they're performing at the cellar, go support them at the cellar. Um, if they have a Patreon, make sure you're given uh, every month um, on Patreon, and to make your voice, you know, uh, heard. If you're one of those who you know who doesn't want, you know, who's like the secret ballot, you know, sort of people. Well, uh, money can be secret too. So you know, so make sure you're you're supporting them uh, on that front. When you when you say is, is any like. Okay, I can list off the top of my head the people making a lot of money, like Shane Gillis, uh, uh, um, Tim uh, Dillon, Andrew Schultz, Tim Dillon, Barry Weiss, uh, Glenn Greenwald, the Substack people, Andrew Sullivan, like all the people have been have been um, cast aside by uh, you know polite society. They're all making millions, millions of dollars. Is there anybody woke making millions of dollars? Like it, it's so obvious. They have, they have no, there's no following. They're not packing Radio City to hear some fucking woke comedy. It's, it's, 
nobody buys that crap. People can take it like, 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 well, I mean, that, that joke isn't funny anymore to a small, powerful group of people, in my opinion. Is that right, Lou, or is that not right? Um, no, I, I think, no, no, I, th- I think that there, I think there's something to it. I mean, a lot of the, you know, you talk about like, you know, like corporate comedy. I mean, most of the times when I hear about this stuff, like whether it's SNL or, or, or Colbert or Jimmy Kimmel, it's usually from people mocking it. You know, like there's, I, I very rarely does anyone share like something with me from, you know, like Colbert, especially like Colbert or even, or even SNL where they're like, oh my God, you got to watch this. This was hilarious. Um, and I think that, you know, I think that's rather telling. When you, when you, the, the title of the book, when you say the death and rebirth, what do you mean the death? Where was that moment that you felt it was the death of comedy? And when is the rebirth? Uh, moment or do you think it's coming or what's going on well a lot of it a lot of like on the death of comedy it's it's from like a lot of friends telling me that comedy's dead and sending Mm -hmm. me you know sending me really shitty examples of things pretending to be comedy and it's like yeah well if that's all you're watching you know then yeah you might think that comedy's dead but I, i think the rebirth of comedy comes a lot from like you know call it that entrepreneurial spirit of you know independent comics putting themselves out there not backing down, um, you know, really, uh, you know, building their audiences. It's that. And then I think it's also getting back to the real elemental uh, uh, part of comedy, which is laughter and making people laugh. And I think one of the, I think, um, you know, Noam having, having the club, like, you know, it takes a lot, you know, for people to leave their house, to go into the city, to buy tickets, to buy, you know, to buy drinks and sit down. Like, there are people out there who want to enjoy comedy and want a little, want a break from reality or a heightened version of reality. And it ultimately comes down to the, you know, the laughter. And I think other comics have pointed this out too, when, you know, they tell a joke and somebody laughs out loud and then they cover their mouth because they're not supposed to be laughing. And it's like, no, stop with the covering your mouth, let it out, let it out. That's what your body, you know, you had no control over that. Great. Let's get back to that. I mean, I do think the Hitler joke. Well, anyway, Mike, go ahead. <laughs> um, no, I agree with that, Lou. Uh, I don't know. A lot of the examples I was talking about aren't the big ones. It's a lot of small, like, like you go to Reddit. There's always a video of some at a com- like a small comedy show with somebody getting up, not liking a joke. And you're right. They're they're minorities, not minorities. They are the minority. Um <laughs> uh, <laughs> But also to uh, to what you were saying, uh, Noam, uh, there are like Patreons that do well with wokeness, but they're usually not funny. They're usually just complaining. Um, well, how well? Uh, like Jamie Kilstein's, uh, he used to make a career before he got uh, boosted from his. Like, um, I don't think they're doing Tim Dillon well, but they it was their job. It was the only thing they were doing. They were selling merch, doing stuff like that. Um, but it's it's a, it's a different community. Like they don't. They're the ones who uh, wouldn't come to the comedy store, but would happily read uh, an article condemning it. You know what I mean? So. I, got, I got an email today, and it's, it's not typical it's from a customer. Some of the jokes are really a one the one star rating of it. Some of the jokes are really out of hand, including carrying a handgun to a grocery store, wanting to kill everyone, autism, molestation. Not that these topics are off topic, but because these topics, I've probably been off limits, but because these topics were handled cheaply and felt derived from jokes beaten to death and made in the mid 2000s. One of the jokes that was made by mm, 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 <laughs> involved 
involved an imitation of a Chinese accent, which the Greenwich Village crowd thought was funny, but the five folks in the crowd that were Asian did not, and rightfully so. Maybe the joke was made for a narrow audience. Maybe the jokes fell flat. The one star of the show was Matteo Lane. The jokes were clever, spontaneous, interactive. So this is interesting. First of all, it's nobody else complained. Second of all, listen, I don't like, I don't like the, the Asian accents. I get nervous when a comedian does the Asian accent, but in my experience, the Asian people in the audience laugh at it. They do not, just like Jewish people laugh at a Jewish act. They don't, they do not get offended. It's unusual for them to get offended by it, if, as long as it's not in any kind of mean-spirited way. And then of course the irony is that Mateo Lane leans so heavily into typical gay jokes, you know? <laughs> you're, you're muted, Lou. Um, that that uh, it's, just, it's just interesting that because these jokes come out of Mateo's mouth, and he is brilliant, it gives people license to laugh at the very same jokes they would get offended by if it was coming out of a straight mouth. So yeah. like, he, doesn't, he doesn't shy away from the gay stereotypes at all. He does whole routines about having a gay voice and a gay this. Like, it's all typical gay humor. Um, and just like now, but you know, so it's, anyway, but we don't get many emails like that. It's very rare. That's why it's noteworthy to me that we got one. I mean, I think people in general don't, you know, you rarely have somebody give compliments or complain un unless they're really offended, especially from a comedy show, you know? I don't know if, uh, you know, and, and the good thing is like, I think it's good about a lineup at the cellar that it's always gonna have different options and different personalities. So you will like most of them. But to, but to Lou's point, it used to be comedians you know, get a sitcom, you know, get a pilot, get a sitcom, become Seinfeld, stuff like that. Now, you know, how many comedians at the cellar, Netflix said no to first, and then they have to build their underground crowd, do a YouTube, get millions of you, then Netflix will come back to them and say, okay, let's do it. Well, you know, yeah, that, that's, am that's amazing. I mean, that's something to really, you know, point out, like the amount of comedians who have, you know, put their entire specials on, you know, independently produced they put their specials out on youtube and have millions of uh millions of views i think i think it's also a testament too to just how um technology has made it so much less expensive to do something like that to do a three camera setup and you know uh you could edit it yourself or you know or have somebody else do it i mean there's just so much there really are just so much uh, so many possibilities about you know where where things are going and you know the the you know, the book title uh, aside, you know, overall, my book is a really positive one. Um, it was something that I, I haven't, uh, it, it was my first time in a very long time to actually look back and take stock in uh, so much of what, you know, of what I've done. Um, and, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm happy to still be doing it for sure. I was watching Nef uh, uh, Seinfeld on Netflix again, like some of the episodes, I swear to God, people like today, like the new generation, they would not, they were like, it's not funny at all. This is offensive. It's just brilliant. It's so bad. I'm my so happy Manny, that Netflix put them back in. My son, Manny, who, you know, he met, uh, he's been binge watching Seinfeld. He loves it. He loves it's, it's amazing. It's, it's so good. Uh, and, but you know, that's the only thing I'm worried about. Like when I first was introduced to the comedy, stand-up comedy in general at the cellar, obviously. And first time I see stand-up comedy, I was like, oh my God, you know, I remember like I was working there and I, the first comedian make a joke about, you know, um, you know, 
the government or something. I was like, this is so cool. I can't wait for him to get arrested. This is going to be so much fun. <laughs> and then nothing happened. And I was like, what? This is awesome. And then, but I feel like now it, the, the sense of humor is not the same. You know, one of the reasons that no show tough crowd was the closest one to make as good uh, of a show of the back table at the cellar is because of people cannot say in TV stuff that you could say, you know? Yeah. So, Lou, where can people find your book and what? Uh, who's that book for? Um, comedy fans, comedians. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. I think I think comedy fans. Um, I think uh, anybody who, uh, you know, finds themselves uh, at a uh, in, in a in a political place where they don't necessarily feel like they belong anywhere. Mm-hmm. I think it uh, I think it's definitely for them. Um, you could uh, you could find it. Uh, it's available for pre-order on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Um, there are a bunch of other places too. Uh, if you look me up on uh, Simon Schuster, um, there. Are, if you want to buy like indie books, uh, and uh, if you go to uh, theluperez.com, you can sign up for my my newsletter. Because one one of my goals is uh, when it uh, when it comes out, I want to you know take it on the road and um, anywhere that that anyone will have me, I'll uh, like to be pushing this book. Is it recyclable paper? Um, I, you know, I'm gonna make a note of that. And uh, any uh, any book that's been published that 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 isn't recyclable paper, I'm going to have it pulped and just burned. Uh, Good. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Just don't take don't buy, the tour. Don't buy from Amazon because, you know, we hate Jeff Bezos. He's you know, now now that he's gotten us through the pandemic and we're you know, we don't need Amazon. <laughs> he, he's going on. He's on. He's going on Twitter now, too. He's uh, he's opening his mouth on Twitter now that he's really a single guy. Now he's really, you know, just opening up. So. Yeah, that's that, that's good. Well, best of luck, Lou. Great book. And thanks for the dedication. I like don't like that you dedicated for Noam before me, but it's fine. That's uh, life is, you know, but uh, yeah, uh, great book. I, 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 I acknowledgments. Oh, I didn't know that. Thank you very much. Oh, no. Thank you. No, you, you've been like uh, without without getting misty eyed and all that. You guys have been just uh, really great friends over the, the years that I've known you. And I really appreciate um, all you've done for me. And uh, getting to talk to you and, and be a part of this space with you is, is really means a lot to me. So thank you. Oh, no problem, Lou. I feel the same. <laughs> I feel the same way, Lou. I, honestly, and, uh, you don't need to thank me, but uh, it's uh, all it's all a fun journey, as they say, as, yeah. as the corny people say. Anyway, go ahead. It's hard to find good people, but now we do have four of them. Um, but I, I said dedication. It's it's better than acknowledgement. You know, I know. I know. I, I, uh, but you I'm have gonna, to ruin I'm, it. You have to ruin it. I know. It. I'm going to take my, my kids anger. out. Yeah. Andreas and Matteo. Sorry. It's Noam and, uh, and Hatem. Yeah. No. Dedication is what Obama did for Reverend Wright in his book. That's a dedication. <laughs> <laughs> this is just acknowledgement. It's just like, you know, I like to thank Fine. you. Uh, Mike, you have anything going on coming up soon? You want to or people want to follow you? Oh, yeah. Follow me at, at Mike V. Suarez, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, I'll, if you're when does this come out? Wednesday, Monday, Monday. Awesome. I'll, this next weekend, I'll be at Side Splitters in Tampa, Florida with Dan Soder. There you go. I'm going to have a special announcement for a special show, but this is going to be um, in a separate video. I'll do. Guys, thank you so much, Lou. Best of luck. I'm going to have the link for Lou's book right here uh, in the description as well. So you can go right ahead and pre-order it. I pre-ordered and still didn't arrive. I'm not happy about that, but it's okay. Guys, thank you very much. He didn't get it yet. Goodbye. And goodbye.